Hey, welcome to the show. Just our weekly opportunity to say thank you for listening. If you like what we're doing here, please, uh, it would help us out a lot. If you share an episode with a friend, find us on Instagram, give us a follow and say hello while you're at it. Choo choo. Do it. <laughs> Concise. <laughs> Concise. Okay. Right. Here we go. It comes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you, Whatever you grab just turns to dust. dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the corner. All right. All right. Are we there? We're there. We're here. <laughs> We're on the shores. To the shores. <laughs> to the shores. Cheers. <laughs> mm. All right. Where are we anyway? We are on the shores, but I think we're going to dive into the ocean today. A little bit of chaos. Let's go. A little bit of unknown. You and I are, uh, we, we tried to talk about some things before the, sh- uh, the show today and yeah, we're kind of all over the place today. Yeah. I feel like tonight's episode is, is one where we generally talk about, you know, ahead of the show, what we're going to talk about and we'll usually have some, something of a general theme that we want to get into. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like we have like seven or eight yeah. tonight. I think it mostly has to do with uncertainty, uncertainty yeah. and risk. I know we labeled one of our risk and rebels. <laughs> that was pretty specifically about COVID though. Yeah, it's true. Um, how are you feeling uncertain? Um, well, I mean, you and I both do like a lot of research. Uh, we listen to a lot of podcasts, read a lot of books, you know, it's like we're always looking and seeking and trying to understand the times that we live in as well as where we're going. Um, so there's this part of always looking to the future and trying to be present and looking to the past and understand where we've been. So I think that's something that we spend a lot of time in that space. Um, I probably err more and not being as present as I could be hmm. and more future and past oriented, you know, learning from the past and trying to understand where we're going, you know? So I think that's kind of like where I feel the uncertainty is, is I see, I see a lot of changing and shifting and a book I recently read, um, sovereign individual, uh, and along with a few others too, but that one really, and you've heard us talk about this on the podcast before, but just the idea of like transitioning from an industrial age mindset into an informational age. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we've talked about a lot of that in the podcast and I want to repeat much of that, but I do really feel that tension more and more. And and it's, it's the sort of idea of exponential growth, so, you know, industrial age is kind of signified or represented by the um, sort of like the car assembly line. You know, it's like you go here and you get this done and you go there. And if any one of those pieces are gone, the whole thing just stops. And but there's a there's a there's sort of like a process that happens that's very linear. And, you know, information age is just it's almost like chaos unleashed. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you're you have these things that are exponential exponentially growing and also as technology improves there's also a deflationary aspect so when the first tv came out and it was like a you know 30 inch flat screen we're like oh my gosh that's so cool and it was like five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars and then not a year or two later that very same screen was only like you know two hundred dollars and so it's happening so much faster where you know 50, 100, 200 years ago, it's like, you know, any sort of like luxury good would not be available to common people like us mm-hmm. 
for many, many years, if, if ever, you know, it's like only, it's only in the luxury of Kings or whatever it might be. <clears throat> but today it's like, you know, to have a computer in the nineties was pretty awesome. And it wasn't 10 and years pretty rare and pretty rare. Yeah. But it was like 10 years later. It's like almost everybody early two thousands had a computer that was more powerful than any computer that anybody had the richest people in the nineties had, you know? Yeah. And so there's this, there's a sort of exponential growth and there's the Moore's law too, where, you know, technology improves so much over a shorter period, period of time. It's like doubles every 18 months, I think is the actual like, um, measurement right now. Um, but, um, I think Moore's law is like technology doubles every two years or something like that, or three years or five years. I forget mm. what it, <laughs> I forget what well, it how is. How do you square all of this? I'm having some audio problems. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully that did the trick. How do you square all of this with, um, you know, uh, Eric Weinstein and Peter Thiel, for example, hmm. um, in an older episode of the portal, the first, I think, <clears throat> yeah, the first, uh, talk about how the last 50 years have been primarily characterized by stagnation hmm. rather than exponential growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's right on. I mean, there's 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 a sort of not a lot has changed. Pretty much from the early 1900s, you saw a sort of like you know the advent of cars and it's sort of like this industrial. The end of the industrial age was sort of right. winding up into like the mid 1900s. Yeah, Eric makes the observation that if you compare a, a picture from 1970 to You know, a picture of any given room in the seventies to a, a room now, if you just delete the screens from the room now, mm-hmm. everything looks the same, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. Um but I think I think that um you know, maybe what you're hitting on is that the movement into the information age, the growth isn't exactly in um maybe trying this hypothesis mm-hmm. on for size in real so, time, but the growth isn't in necessarily technology or, um, sort of consumer goods in, or way of life necessarily, but it's in the information itself, mm-hmm. our ability to communicate more rapidly, our ability for ideas to disseminate more rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is <clears throat> a state of, of seemingly chaos. Yeah. I mean, you've seen mainstream media degenerate into <clears throat> something that's not media anymore. Mm. It's not journalism. Yeah. Over the past couple of years, um, you've seen social media move from, you know, something we all used and didn't think too much about where our sort of crazy uncle <clears throat> said what he thought and, you know, memes arose and you, you, you know, said things that were funny or whatever. Um, to now all of the CEOs of these companies regularly testifying before Congress. Like mm-hmm. that's a whole different animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, they've almost grown up and now they are the man. <laughs> you right, know, also right. there's that part too. Well, and we're blaming or attributing one or the other to the social media companies, everything from the outcome of our election mm-hmm. to, you know, uh, the, the, um, impetus for something like January 6th. Mm. That's funny. That's interesting. Just the, the scapegoating of that, like you're, 
it seems like that's kind of the case for for most leaders or politicians or superstars of some sort you know it's like you're the everyone's hero and then not then you're not <laughs> it's like you 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 come under fire for uh uh for something that you either indirectly did or did directly and uh, you lose that. I think that's part of just being famous too. <laughs> yeah. Stick around long enough to become the enemy. Uh-huh, totally. But it is, I mean, it's a, it, there's just so many things changing right now as far as even like information in Google, you know, it's like you can, you can access so much information and you know, there's part of that's wanting to be controlled too. And, um, but we, it's like, I think we've had a little bit of a, we've well, gone through most of the crisis of information and having access to almost too much information. Yeah. Well, that seems to be the new, the new sort of point of conversation is it used to be like, internet's amazing. Look at all this information we can get a hold of. Mm-hmm. And now it's, there's probably too much information. What information should you be allowed to get a hold of? Mm-hmm. Should you be allowed <laughs> to watch a YouTube video about ivermectin. Mm -hmm. Should you be allowed to, uh, make claims that the 2020 election was stolen, Mm. you know? And so arise the censorship. The the answer to these questions seems to be from, from the, the regime, which Mm -hmm. I don't specifically mean that politically, but the force that sort of acts as the decision maker, which is partly, uh, political and partly, big tech and partly some merger of the two mm-hmm. um, is saying, you know, no, we, we should decide what information you have access to because information is dangerous <coughs> and yeah. you might do something that threatens everyone with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. There has been this, I think it's because of that. People were a lot easier to control in the industrial age. You know, it's like information was still, and this even goes further back into you know, the agricultural age and, and that kind of stuff, people are easier to control because fewer people held, um, information held power, held influence. You know, it's like you had to have a lot more, uh, money and wealth to have influence where now you just have like a, you can have a TikTok or a, an Instagram and you have millions of followers on Twitter or whatever. Yeah. Even the arise of that class of society, the influencer class, Mm -hmm. that's brand new. Mm -hmm. That didn't exist before a couple of years ago. Yeah. And are you and I having a podcast where we could potentially reach, you know, millions of people? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we don't, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Yeah. But that, but that's, it's open to everyone. It's like, but then, I mean, yeah, but you think about that. That's a good point. Like we're reaching on average about a hundred people per episode, mm-hmm. um, putting in almost no work, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, other than recording. It's like, we're not making an effort with marketing other than at the beginning of every episode now asking people to help, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. we could probably do more with a more concerted effort and mm-hmm. even putting a little money behind it, but we're not. So it's like minimal amount of effort. We're reaching a, a fairly significant number of people mm-hmm. on a weekly basis. That's, that's a testament I make that whole point to say it's not a testament to us. It's mm-hmm. a testament to the ability of technology to give us reach mm-hmm. with almost no effort. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Where this would, have, you know, back in the days when, you know, BMI and all the big, uh, you know, um, what do you call them? Uh, Sony and all the big, uh, 
performance uh, rights organizations yeah. for music. Yeah. You have to go to a studio that costs millions and millions of dollars to even do something as simple as this. Right. Which is, I mean, just, it's just fast. It's just, it's just fascinating to me. So I think there's like, I feel like we've kind of gone through a little bit of the, I'm hoping we're kind of coming out of this sort of a uh, tension of so much information what are we going to allow sort of era of, of this new information age? And it, it, it's kind of like one of those things that might get uglier before it gets better, you know, it's like, yeah. but we don't know what to do with it. And I, it's like, I think there's good actors on many sides of this, you know, um, and many people think they're doing something that's good, but might not be the best for, for all of us, you know, it's like, but have good intentions. You know, I like to think that anyways. Hmm. Well, maybe it's helpful to remember that in this day and age of uncertainty, which <clears throat> there is so much of it because so much is new and mm-hmm. the, and the, the rate of newness is also new, it's not just the quantity, but the rate. Yeah. Um, no one knows what to do with it. Mm-hmm. No one knows what the right thing for all of us is, <clears throat> you know, and big tech says that they do or, um, a Congress person says that they do, or the president says that they do. It's not possible. Yeah. It's not possible to say, here's what's right for us moving forward. It has to be something different. It has to be something that is approached with more humility to say, here's what we, uh, I think you formulated this before, but it's like, here's what we know and here's what we don't know. Mm -hmm. And here's the criteria with which we were going to change our position. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's a position of humility that allows us to interact with the things that we don't understand from a position of truth Mm. and interact with the world and each other from a position of truth rather than this, you know, we're all kind of trying to grasp at this idea of certainty. That's why we always say the science, Mm -hmm. trust science or believe science as if there is that that's certainty and we can lean on it Mm -hmm. and that's going to betray us really quickly if we, if we sort of live our lives that way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still, you know, it's like the, the whole tension. Oh, well, I lost it. <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> oh, well, just the whole tension of what we're talking about is like, I think we're, it's like, I understand wanting to provide some, some sort of like bumpers, like in, in, uh, uh, in bowling or something like that. When you put the bumpers up for your kids, you know, it's like, yeah, there is that transition that we're having into this sort of new age of this information age. In fact, one time I, it was this week, I, I read something by, it's either what book I was reading or something, but I, I kind of felt the uh, reality of it a little bit was uh, uh, Elon Musk was talking about the um, simulation and he was talking, but he was first, he was talking about virtual reality and like how it will eventually become so real that you won't be able really able to tell what is virtual reality, right. what's, what's reality <clears throat> and that we will function and do things in virtual reality, like have meetings or which we're kind of already doing sort of in zoom. Right. Right. But, even a more interactive way. And he said that like, it will get so good that you'll, you can, you can even questions. He's like, 
it's almost as if we were in a simulation right now and you don't know any better. And when he, the way he connected the two, it was like, I was like, Oh wow. It's like, I could really see like his, his view of like, we're in a simulation. I don't think it's like, I don't know if it's his view, but he kind of talks about it a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's, that's kind of mind blowing to me. It's like, like Austin has his, you know, Oculus and he does the virtual reality thing. And it's like, but they're going to be growing up with a whole nother like reality or way to engage reality. That's more digital. And is that a good thing? Well, and think about it another way. Um, <clears throat> I was listening to an interview with this man, Jaron Laurier, I believe is his name. He was one of the, um, one of the people in the eighties that was involved with basically inventing the internet. And he's now this, um, well, I don't know much about him other than this interview. It's a, an interview on Barry Weiss's podcast called Honestly, mm. which is really excellent. Um, but he was talking about how apparently Facebook has said that in the last 18 months, um, of all of the new accounts that have been created on Facebook, 1% of them are real people. And there's this whole other theory that I've run across recently, which is called the dead internet theory. which is that basically, and he makes this point without referencing that theory, but says the vast majority of people you run across online are not real. Oh, that's, 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 that's weird. And so, well, what are they? And Mm -hmm. he doesn't sort of attempt to explain and are are they bots? Are they, you know, alias accounts? What are they? You know, it doesn't matter. But if Mm -hmm. you think about that, if that's true, that 99% of new accounts on Facebook are not real people. Well then if you're scrolling Twitter or you're scrolling Facebook, if you don't know the person personally, what is it that you're reading? You know, it's, is it real? Mm. And what does it mean even to ask that question? Is it real? Yeah. So in a sense, I think we can already be living in a simulation that doesn't involve our bodies necessarily like laying in a matrix like tank of goo and we're plugged into, you know, like virtual reality. Uh We're living in a simulation in the sense that like so much of what we see, Mm -hmm. so much of what we encounter is simulated, you know, in you, you can make that case simply by saying, by hypothesizing or asking yourself, what would it mean if let's say 90% of what I see on Twitter is not backed by a real person? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you can also, I think, make the same observation just by watching mainstream media over the last two years. Oh, interesting. So mainstream media, I mean, the the classic example of this is, I think it was in Kenosha, uh, last summer and the city absolutely burned down and there was a reporter reporting from (laughs) Kenosha and he's standing in front of this panorama of flames and the Chi, I think it's kind of, what is it called? The caption. Well, it's, there's a word for it. Chi, Chiron or something. The cap, mm-hmm. caption at the bottom yeah. of the screen says, fiery but mostly peaceful protests. And you think, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. And, and it's obvious that there is some other message trying to be portrayed that's disconnected from reality. Mm-hmm. And if you start looking around at the way headlines read, and what they're representing the the whole interface into media is a simulation hmm. of something which isn't reality. So it's like, we're constantly being bombarded 
whether through social media or mainstream media, with a simulated reality. Hmm. Yeah, you make this comment on the podcast a lot. As like you know, you you read a lot of this stuff on online or Twitter, or Facebook, or whatever it might be, and then you go out into you know your neighborhood. It's like you know, it's it's a different story. Right, it's right. a different way of being. Um, you know, I think there's a lot that does bleed over into into like sort of, I guess, real life. But, um, <clears throat> I mean, it's like, it's hard because like maybe I'm, I'm also becoming a Luddite, you know, it's like, I don't want to, I don't engage with social media as much as I used to, you know? And it's like, but I don't think that's necessarily like, there's a lot that's moving towards more virtual engagement. I mean, mm-hmm. we saw that with the pandemic, you know, right. I've had so many zoom meetings in the last two years and still continue to have zoom meetings. Part of it's because the, the ease of it, you know? Right. And you know, how, like in people like offices, not going back to their, or businesses not going back to their offices, you know, it's right. like that's kind of a, a lot, a lot more people were toying around with those ideas. Well, and I, I had a meeting the other day I was on a, um, on a zoom meeting, which is funny. Cause that's become the, um, what is the, the word, you know, like we call Kleenex, Kleenex and Coke, Coke. Oh yeah. But Kleenex is a brand of facial tissue and <laughs> Coke is a brand of soda. Zoom <laughs> is a brand of video conferencing, right? Until you said that I didn't realize that it, that actually happened. Cause I was on a team's meeting. Right. But you last week and I was just like, this is dumb. Cause we all know, we all know what zoom is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I was actually on a Teams meeting, but I was on a Zoom call, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and everybody had their cameras on, which has become more and more rare in my industry, mm-hmm. uh, just as we work with people longer and longer. And the reasons are obvious, because we, work has now slotted into our life in a way which it's like, there's no guarantee I'm looking presentable. Mm-hmm. There's no guarantee I'm even wearing a shirt. Matt's <laughs> <laughs> naked the you whole know? time. <laughs> but like, really? Uh-huh. Um not cause I'm kind of like some pervert or whatever, but it's like working from home affords me the ability, for example, to exercise in the middle of the day, which mm-hmm. I do. So it's not uncommon that I'll finish exercising and go immediately to a call. And in that case, maybe I don't have a shirt on, right? So I don't turn my camera on and this is fine because everybody's operating this way. Yeah. Um, but in this case, everyone had their cameras on and, uh, teams has a, a an option where if your camera's on, you can ask it to blur your background oh, Okay, yeah. and everyone had this feature on. Mm-hmm. So you see people and then you see blurry backgrounds. And I thought this is interesting because you're obscuring where you are. Mm-hmm. And there's probably good reason to do that because where might you be mm-hmm. kind of partly none of my business. Right. Yeah. But then I was thinking about if you're in a meeting or even just in a social gathering with someone in person, it wouldn't be, um, like you can imagine a scenario in which you would say to a person, Hey, where are you? Mm-hmm. You're not here. Yeah. And you would know what I meant by that, mm-hmm. which meant that you're not there mentally. You're there physically, but you're not there mentally. Yeah. But now that we're no longer there physically in these meetings ever, we can't even really pick up on whether or not you're there mentally. Hmm. So what does it mean to be here? What does it mean to be present? Yeah. When we have not only removed, um, ourselves presently physically, but then removed the indicators, whether that's by simply blurring the background or by having camera off completely Mm -hmm. the indicators of presence. 
and then what is it that we're interfacing like what with what's left that we're interfacing with is that real mm -hmm. that starts to feel again like some sort of simulation in that it's simulating real life but it isn't quite well and i also wonder the, the difference between like us and our kids in the future interacting in this way like how much of that will be so much more second nature where this is fairly new for us. Right. Like I would have some video calls maybe prior to this, but yeah, not really. I mean, you probably do cure in the tech world yeah. more often. So it's right. like, but for, for us comic people, <laughs> it's like, this is all, this is like a new way. And plus my business is more physical, personal uh, interaction. You know, it's like, customer service, you know, so it's right. like, um, but I, yeah, it's like, I don't know what that looks like for our kids where it's almost be more, it's almost, almost second nature. Well, I mean, I see it like, you know, okay. So we remove these indicators of presence and what are you left with? You're left with a voice and the content that that voice is conveying. And to me, that seems like a huge loss, mm -hmm. but I think my kids are much more comfortable with that. Yeah. Because, you know, for instance, even the younger ones, they don't just play video games. They play video games that are networked with other live people. Hmm. And those other live, you know, they can talk to these other people. Mm -hmm. And they've actually established relationships with people this way. Mm -hmm. My son met his current girlfriend on Snapchat. Oh, wow. You know, mm -hmm. their relationship consisted of a voice <clears throat> on the other end of a phone for some period of time. Yeah. It would have been unheard of when we were kids, mm -hmm. but I think that there is something that is more innately natural to them in that. And this is why, um, there's these terms that I ran across recently, uh, digital native and digital immigrant. Oh, what's that? Well, our children are digital natives. Oh, gotcha. They've always lived here mm -hmm. in this space. You and I are digital immigrants. Mm -hmm. We immigrated to this space. Yeah. And, you know, we're about as functional as sort of the stereotypical immigrant family in mm. another country, mm -hmm. which is to say not all the way functional. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> yeah. It's like, you're still out, you're still an outsider wherever mm -hmm. you live. Right. But the, the, the kids are more insiders. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. You don't know the language exactly. Mm -hmm. You don't, know the culture exactly mm -hmm. and it doesn't really matter how long you live there and how well you can emulate it it won't ever be yours exactly in mm -hmm. the way that it is for someone who grew up in it yeah well i think that's that's something that you and i specifically in our generation is a sort of like being able to to kind of be that bridge where our kids are have grown up in it. And then our parents are hanging on <laughs> <You know? laughs> for dear life, for yeah. dear life. You know, it's yeah. like all these things were sort of coming into being as we were growing up slash into our, you know, young adult years and stuff like that. Right. So we kind of know the different worlds and maybe can make the, the discernment between what was and what now is. Right. But do you think it's harder for us to see what will be than our kids? Yeah. 
Probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think we can think as creatively about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, I mean, that's something that's kind of been, you know, just as far as like baffling to me and uh, this book I'm reading right now, it's uh, the price for tomorrow. He talks about if you're not a technology company in the future, you're not a company at all. Hmm. And I was trying to kind of poke some holes at it and there's, there's some, there's some holes in there, but it's like his point I think was really well taken is that you have to be involved in technology into the future where you could, you could opt out. Like, I mean, maybe you could still into the future as far as like, you know, construction work, maybe, but I, mean, I think we're, we're seeing more and more AI. I machines. saw, I saw a video of a Boston dynamics robot today mm-hmm. doing drywall. Oh really? <laughs> wow. I've done lots of drywall. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, even construction, I think will be done, mm-hmm. you know, by robots and that, uh, Jaron Laurier, the guy who helped invent the internet was talking about that, about mm-hmm. how, you know, in the future, even things like, um, you know, trimming back trees in order to prevent spread of fire, can and will be done by robots. Hmm. I mean, it all makes sense. There's kind of a dystopia part. I think that we grew up with with Terminator and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like, Oh no, (laughs) tree trimmer comes after you. (laughs) Um, but it's, it's also, I think that's the, you know, so we were at the beginning of the podcast, we talked about the deflationary aspect of technology and that, it's like, what are, what are we going to, what are we doing into the future? You know, it's like, what, well, explain what you mean by that deflationary aspect of technology. Well, it's, it's as, as, as technology starts to grow, it's like everything becomes cheaper and cheaper. Mm -hmm. And the, and the window between that TV being $5,000 or $20,000 to being $200 or free on the side of the road or free on the side of the road. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's becoming a, a smaller and smaller window. So you can actually buy more with less or you can buy more with less. Yeah. So it's like, so it's like your $5,000 will go along a lot further than it would have, uh, three years ago or five years ago. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, instead of buying one $5,000 TV, you could buy five $1,000 TVs or, or, Mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. So, so the deflationary aspect of technology is, is that part that, it actually gets cheaper and cheaper as time goes on because it's continuing exponentially growing. But the time window is slow is, is getting closer and closer where, you know, we live in a debt credit system in our financials, which is like, you know, and that's, this is one of the arguments and I'm, I don't know if I can go all the way into this. It's sort of like we keep extending more and more credit and people are going more and more into debt. And there's a sort of def, uh, inflationary aspect to our money system. Right that's having an opposite effect. And there's sort of this argument that you're having deflationary with te- technology, but our money is inflationary and in that we're, we're extending more and more credit and more and more people are going into debt. So it's like these two different worlds are happening at the same time. Are they offsetting each other? Um, could you make that claim? I don't, I don't know enough about that. And I, I'm probably speaking out of turn. I, 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 before the podcast, I was just like, I'm not going to get into this because I'm, <clears throat> I'm just now learning a little bit more eloquently about this subject. So I'm not going to get into it. I just, got I just got it. <laughs> we warned him at the beginning. We might jump into the ocean on this yeah. one, but I don't know if I, 
I might have to, I might have to jump back from, from that one. Cause I don't want to get into something I'm not too comfortable with. On. Well, I think I, I sort of like am brought to two, to two sort of speculative questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so at least informationally in the digital world, things are changing at an exponential rate mm-hmm. that, <clears throat> that exponential growth may not be, may not apply to the physical world in the way that it used to. And mm-hmm. I think maybe that's what Eric Weinstein talks about when he talks about embedded growth obligations of corporations and, mm-hmm. um, and how there has been relative stagnation over the last 50 years. And the idea that a picture of a room is going to be the same except for screens. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the digital world, we have this rapid expansion that we don't know what to do with. And, you know, sort of the empirical evidence of that is, you know, even just these new class categories, such as influencers, mm-hmm. you know, where if I had said that word five years ago, you wouldn't know what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, not only exactly what I'm talking about, you follow meme accounts that, you know, <laughs> Gary <V. laughs> that document these influencers. Yeah, totally. you know? um, so we even have like subclasses dedicated to these new classes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So which brings me to my question which is where are we going digitally Mm -hmm. and how can you speculate about that? And I think that it's, it's not only worth asking, I think we have to ask it because, you know, things like, um, things like Bitcoin Mm -hmm. and cryptocurrencies are going to be a very solid piece of the future. Um, and it's going to matter to everyone. Mm Mm-hmm. And then things like NFTs in the concept of digital ownership is it, that's a newer concept and a bit harder for people to grasp at the moment. Totally. That's also going to be a massive part of not only life in the future, but, um, generation of wealth in the future. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, on the other side of this, we have this thing that, that I've said a lot that you pointed out, which is that if you go out into the real world, take a walk, go to the coffee shop, meet a friend for beers, mm-hmm. you know, none of what you see and, and discern and judge of the state of the world online seems to be present. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You, you're living in a different world. And so where is that world going to go? Mm-hmm. And how are these two things going to fight each other and or complement each other and change? And this is worth thinking about, not only just because we're going to live it, but our kids are going to live it and our grandkids. And if you want, I mean, to your point about every company needs to be a technology company, Mm -hmm. you know, that's only going to be true for so long. And then that's going to be like, well, you've got to be a technology company and a cryptocurrency company and Mm -hmm. an NFT company. And, you know, so if you, if you want to, well, be successful, Mm -hmm. you have to be asking these questions about where we are Mm -hmm. and where we're going. Yeah, so you'll be left behind almost. I mean, but again, I, I just the frisbee came to mind. It's like, well, we'll still need frisbees, won't we? <laughs> I hope so. It's one of life's simple pleasures. Uh-huh. And bicycles. And bicycles. And but even that, it's like the electric bikes. We'll and, still and need all. frisbees. I love that. <laughs> so I mean, there, I think there will, there will, but it almost be vintage, you know, at that point where anything anything that's like a Frisbee or a baseball or something like that. Well, okay. I was thinking about that with coffee shops today. I was kind of going through like, okay, will coffee shops go away in the next five or 10 years? 
given this exponential growth of technology in our interactions and experience. And there's a lot of talk around that, but, but we still have this, we still have this need for physical one-to-one communication and engagement. Yeah. We, we want to and need to be mm-hmm. in communal spaces. Yeah. Like physically. Yeah. Cause you think about that. I mean, what are coffee shops used for? It's, mm-hmm. it's not primarily serving coffee, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. You just happen to be able to make a living serving the coffee, but the, mm-hmm. it, that's adjacent to the primary purpose. Mm-hmm. And the primary purpose is like, I want to go be somewhere yeah. that's not my home. Mm-hmm. That's filled with people that I sort of know mm-hmm. or don't know at all even. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's a human imperative, um, which I'll also point out is it seems um, um, suspicious to me. Hmm. So, well, that one of the features of the last two years of global life is shutting that sort of thing down mm-hmm. and saying to people, not only that, the conspicuous part of it to me is that it's like, well, you could go to the coffee shop as long as you wear a mask, but whatever you do, definitely don't go visit family for Thanksgiving. Mm. That's when people are going to die. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of been the messaging. And again, this goes back to this idea of simulation. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it that you're, commu- what is, what is, is it that is trying to be communicated to me? Mm. Because that doesn't make any sense, but it, it pulls at my heartstrings enough that I'm tempted to believe it. And maybe I'll just do it anyway to be safe. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, what you're lining up here is a, is a really, if, if not in like, well, the ability to actually be, I want to say gaslit, but it's creating an environment where you can control people easier. And I'm not saying that this is, this is happening, but like you, you can see an environment where if you have the wrong people in charge, that would be a lot easier to control and, um, manage people's intake and what they see and what they don't see. If you, if, I mean, again, like in the pandemic, there are certain aspects, parts of it where it's like you couldn't go outside hardly, you know, or you could go take a walk and that was kind of it, but there was no gathering of any sort. And it's like to be able to have that kind of control, you know, it's like, what I mean, I'm not talking about whether this is warranted or not. And what all we knew at the time, there was a lot of like uncertainties, but, but you do see the sort of, um, atmosphere that, that is created that, you know, I I know people that didn't go to a restaurant for over a year and a half type of stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's like you need that sort of interaction in public with people that you don't necessarily agree with. Like even in the office, it's like you're around people that are mm. different of different political views or right. religious views or social views where, where when you're online, you can somewhat curate your own world to you're only just a voice and content. Mm-hmm. You're not a body that can visually show discomfort mm-hmm. or even, but even in that too, it's like you, it's like, Oh, well I'm interested in these things and this things. I have this political view, religious views, spiritual perspective or philosophy or something like that, well, you end up finding yourself in those same echo chambers or in groups of, of, of a kind where in, in real life, you, when you go out, it's like, you don't work with people that are of a certain kind. You might all be programmers or all be coffee shop lovers, but, but you have a lot, right. You don't, you're not able to curate your atmosphere as much as you can online. So that's, I think that's also kind of, 
concerning in that area. Yeah. In the digital world. Cause I mean, you go to like Bitcoin stuff. It's like, they were like, ah, to the moon, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, it's crap. <laughs> right. It's like way intense, you know, that's an interesting point. Yeah. You can spend all of your time in curated silos online, but when you're in the real world, you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's healthy. I, and I want to try to make a, a, a point. Okay. Um, you know, there's this, um, saying, I think it's, there's a word for it. Something's law, uh, which is, don't attribute to malevolence what ignorance can explain. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so when we talk like this, there's a temptation to say, you're talking about some conspiracy of someone trying to control people globally by moving them out of physical spaces and into online spaces. And I don't think that that needs to be the case yeah, totally. to make the observations that we're making mm-hmm. um, for a couple of different reasons. Um, one is that I think that people will naturally self-organize this way mm-hmm. when that's the, pe- the path of least resistance. And I think technology has made that the path of least resistance. Oh, interesting. And I don't think that there has to be an intentional, um, a, an intentional group of people behind that, whether mm-hmm. that's benevolent or malevolent. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. So I think people will self-organize. I think that there is another thing at play which is a bit more like the Hunger Games, or if you've ever seen the movie The Fifth Element. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the idea of absurdity. And, you know, if you look at any, um, for example, uh, award show mm-hmm. from the last year, especially, mm-hmm. and you look at what people are wearing and the way that they're presenting themselves and the things that they say, there is blatant absurdity. And in a way that there didn't used to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like, why is that? And I think part of the reason that it is that way is that, again, back to our original observation, that there is so much information that the question starts to be, what information should you be allowed to see? Mm -hmm. Well, there's another aspect of that, or maybe the flip side of that coin, which is, if you want to stand out, how do you possibly stand out? Mm. Okay. Because there's so much information, you have to become absurd. Yeah. Oh, and, that's interesting. And this applies not only to the outfits at the Grammys, mm-hmm. this also applies to headlines and it applies to mainstream media. Um, so you are going to read things from accredited institutions and credentialed scientists and journalists of, and politicians of all kinds. And they are going to be, they're going to have a level of absurdity to them because if they don't, you would never see them Hmm. because it would be drowned by the vast flood of information that you have access to for it to even surface. It has to be absurd. And in that way, it has to be disconnected from reality. Hmm. Like if you, if you imagine the things, let's say that you read online or see online, like just a little thought experiment, um, or, or, (laughs) Let's, let's go back to the Kenosha example, fiery, but mostly peaceful protests. You know, there's something about that that you see online and you kind of like, I think my reaction to that was like, that's a really strange headline. <laughs> I was like, I, yeah, I see the fire, but it's mostly peaceful. Like, okay. Do I believe you? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you live in Kenosha and you were to, the next morning go to your coffee shop and you talk to the barista 
which I'm noticing is a theme in the podcast a lot. Like this is our, our like uh, theoretical ground for solving problems. Is when you talk to the barista, um, but you talk to the barista and, and you're like, what happened last night? He's like, well, it was fiery, but mostly peaceful. And you're like, that's an absurd thing to say. Every, almost everything's burned down. What are you talking about? You know, it's like, it wouldn't work in the real world mm-hmm. because you don't need absurdity to, to rise above the information filter threshold mm-hmm. um, because you're not getting constant input. It's like you're having a one-on-one conversation. Yeah. So I think that that sort of reveals or, or betrays the, the simulated aspect of almost necessarily like the, it, it, your online digital life has to be simulated because there's no, it's like there's too much to interface with it directly. You have to interface with some caricature of it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, we were even talking about this today a little bit. Like, like I don't do uh, Instagram or <laughs> Twitter or much, but I, I do, I do look at Twitter. I don't in, engage with it, but, um, but there is that part that I really loved about like why I stopped doing Facebook and it was doing Instagram was because like, Hey, I saw this thing. It's kind of cool. And where Facebook was like all, you know, <clears throat> too political, too politicized, and everyone has saying their stuff. And I was just like, right. I don't want to hear this. And Instagram was kind of more fun. Now Instagram's kind of more that way too. And it's sort of like, or Twitter, I just expect it, but I also get a lot of good news and you know what's happening, you know, from different points of view and stuff like that. So I've I've really enjoyed that. But um, buffs, I don't engage on it. Oh shoot! Now I lost where I was going with this. I got too meandering. Mm. Well, and I don't know how, you know, you know, if it's possible that I just outlined a problem, I don't know how you would solve it, Mm -hmm. you know, because I could try to invent, let's say an alternative because we have, we've migrated from, you know, Facebook to Instagram and Twitter to discord and clubhouse and all of these other things. And it's like, we keep trying to come up with a new, social platform that recaptures authenticity mm-hmm. and it works for a minute yeah, and then it gets captured by the same thing. And I think, <clears throat> I think that the, the incentives that cause that capture that, that pervert something that was authentic into something that is, sho- seems to be shoving things down your throat, whether that's politics or ads or, mm. you know, influencers or whatever. I don't know how you get around those incentives. Well, do you think podcasts have kind of gone, gotten around that? That's a good point. Podcasts seem to be fairly unscathed mm-hmm. by this. Well, I'm specifically thinking about the long form discussion aspects. They seem to be, I think they kind of hold their, the test a little bit more because you're having more content. It's not like a six second sound bite or right. Uh, a short essay or something like that. Well, and that was what I was going to say is the incentives that always capture the social networks are make everything more Mm bite-sized because that allows people to become addicted to it Yeah, and spend more time on it. Yeah. It's like you don't have to engage it mentally necessarily. It's more emotional that you're totally. And you know this about yourself because Mm -hmm. you'll just instinctively pick up your phone without thinking about it and open an Instagram and just start scrolling. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, there's a word for this, uh, that I learned when I was taking driver's ed, which is like, 
and, and you all know this experience, you're driving a car and all of a sudden you go, holy shit, how did I get here? Uh-huh. Like uh-huh. I, my consciousness was not online. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad I didn't get in a wreck, mm-hmm. which is such a, it's actually a really cool thing. It's like that the skills that we learn can become so embedded and we can become so good at them that we no longer have to use consciousness to direct them. And we can successfully drive a car from Austin to San Antonio, for example, mm-hmm. um, without having to be consciously aware of what we're doing. It's mm-hmm. also scary. Yeah. But you do the same thing with social media. It's like you'll, you'll pick it up and start scrolling and at some point realize I haven't noticed a single thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't taken in any information. Yeah. I don't know what I've seen. Mm-hmm. I'm just doing it, mm-hmm. you know. Well, that's you bring up the driving the car thing. It's like I like we do learn these skills, you know, through like driving and stuff like that. Oh no, what like what was I doing the last mm-hmm. you know ten minutes or fifteen minutes? It's like I wonder if as we start taking away those like self driving cars, like that is not too far in the future. That could be two, could be five years away. That's not even the future. It's now. Yeah, it's it's now. it's just not widespread. It's not widespread. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, but how many more of those things do we offload? It's like at some point we almost have to start choosing to engage the mm, world. Right, right. Instead of it being instead of it being fed to us, it's like we have to like start to we have to maybe that's 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 something for the future generations as as far as you have to start choosing how you're going to engage the world. It's like because internet and um Technology has so many benefits and absolutely amazing. I love everything about technology, um, almost everything. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, it's like you have to start choosing how you're going to engage life and and be a participant. So we talk often about how new ideas come first through the arts. Mm. It's making me think a lot about the movie uh, inception and mm-hmm. the movie, the matrix. Mm-hmm. And in both of those cases, there are characters who take the amazing revelatory technology and say, plug me in and don't unplug me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to choose reality anymore. Yeah. And that's <clears throat> an artistic representation of something that maybe we're going to have to come to terms with, which yeah. is that as technology as you just pointed out, offloads more and more of interacting with the real world. On one hand, we have much more choice, Mm -hmm. which is a good thing. But on the other hand, we are much more susceptible to perverting that choice into something which isn't good for us. Hmm. Okay. If I have to choose, you know, if you're living in the, let's say early 1800s, you don't really get to choose what reality you interface with, mm-hmm. which parts of reality. It's like you step out your front door and reality hits you and it's life or death. Mm-hmm. And so you're dealing with reality all day long, every day, you know, but now in this day and age, and if we think forward 10 years, what is, what is the pieces of actual physical reality that I have to deal with? Mm-hmm. You know, and you can, you can take that thought experiment of self-driving cars and extrapolate from there. You know, if I no longer have to drive a car, well, I've got all this time on my hands, mm-hmm. right? I can be on my phone. I can uh, work on, I can do work. I could call into a meeting. I could read a book. I could call my mom, you know. Now you have this choice. Well, what will you do with it? Mm-hmm. 
and what and will what you do with that choice be good yeah so there's almost a a moral test awaiting us It's like, again, I think that's, you made me think of two, two different things. Uh, one is like, you know, again, a 3D printer. It's like we all have a 3D printer in our homes in 10 years. And we almost 3D print whatever, is it, whatever it is that we want. You know, it's like whether it be a book or a um, something from Ikea. <laughs> I, think, I think more realistically, no one will have a 3D printer Amazon will have shit tons of 3D printers mm -hmm. and you will just order what you want printed and it will be on your door in an hour. Yeah, totally. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> but still, likely. it is like this idea uh, of unlimited access. Yeah. Which is unlimited choice. Mm -hmm. So what do you do with that? I mean, it, we all know this is a problem. Yeah. You know, the, the, the common trope is like, where do you want to go to dinner? No one can ever decide. <laughs> well, I think that's the part too. Is like we're going to have to start people are going to have to start dreaming bigger. It's like you can almost settle for the almost, almost as a heroin addict. I will just consume. Yeah. These the, pleasantries. The, the opioid dens is, is like mm -hmm. the other, um, analogy to this mm -hmm. that I think is, is, uh, represented in, in the movie inception mm -hmm. where it's like, it's not heroin that they're on. It's dreams. Uh, yeah. All these people just laid up in couches and lazy boys plugged into the IVs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like, what is it that the choice you have to engage the world? Yeah. That's, that's right. Like if you can choose to engage the world or not, do you choose to engage it? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of reasons not to, I mean, it's really hard. Well, I think that's a part with life too. Like where you know, even though like 1800s, 1900s, definitely never want to go back, whatever. But you were, you were faced with a, a life death. Where are you going to get your next meal? Um, your neighbors, are they, are they friends or foes? There's something that made you engaged with your environment, your physical environment, you know, where if you're on a, um, in a virtual world, you can just like, just leave. Hmm. I'm having a hard time here. So I'm going to leave and go to another place. Right. And so, and, and that, again, that doesn't have to be a virtual reality world mm -hmm. that can simply be, I'm going to close Instagram and go to Twitter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to close Twitter and go to Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> or you're on one dating app and then you go to another dating app right. or, or whatever. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it might be. <laughs> So well, I think one thing we're coming back to is, and I don't know how to put our finger on this is like, there's optionality with technology, but it's like with your family, you don't have an option on who your brother is or who your mother mm -hmm, is. Mm -hmm. And there's something very valuable about not having an option. You know, you go to work at your office. It's like, there's people that annoy you. There's people you kind of like, and there's people that are like, wow, they're, you know, we're, we're buds or whatever, you right, know? Right. And it's like, when you don't have that sort of contention in your life, like I believe it seems to me that that would be very unhealthy. Like you don't know how to deal with adversity. Well, anyone who 
has ever attempted a creative endeavor, I think will know this to be true, which is to say all of you, and some of you may have to think back to your childhood days maybe to, mm -hmm. to tap into this, but limitations mm. inspire creativity. Mm. And you think about, you know, draw a picture. Well, what does that mean? Draw a picture with watercolor. You immediately know more what that picture might mean, even though I haven't asked you or, you know, told you any other criteria. Mm -hmm. I've limited you to a medium and your mind immediately starts to fill in categories of like, what could I do with that medium? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so limitations are necessary for creativity. And I think that in the same way, tension is necessary for growth. Mm. And I, I think in the same way that you see that in the, in the creative endeavors with limitations, um, anyone who used to work in an office or with a group of people who now works remotely, I think you also see that this in that way. There is a certain tension in being around people, to your point that earlier, that overlap um, sort of affinity groups. You just, it's like you might agree on the job at hand, but you don't agree about politics or religion or um, <laughs> whatever, mm -hmm. you know, and you run up against that stuff. Maybe it's before a meeting or at the water cooler or during lunch or afterwards when people have started to have, you know, go out to happy hour or whatever. But that creates a more creative environment. You work better with those people mm -hmm. than you do, I think, strictly online when the only part of them that you interface with is the part that overlaps with the job at hand. Mm -hmm. So it's the tension that creates growth. that creates something new. And if we are, if we are presented with unlimited choice, we no longer have the, the limitations necessary for creativity or and or we have the ability to opt out of the tensions that create the environment for growth. Mm -hmm. and, there, and the danger here is that we, we are less happy and we live less meaningful lives as a result, essentially, of improving things to the point that it starts hurting us. So the only, the only thing I think about is, is that because we didn't grow up in it, that we think this way? I don't think so. I think there's something fundamental. Mm -hmm. I don't think that, I don't think that you, you get out of it by being a native. Yeah. I mean, this is, this has this, the point I'm trying to make, I believe transcends time and culture and technology. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is fundamental <coughs> to the gift of consciousness itself. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a conscious being, you are stuck in this conundrum of, um, on one hand, feeling godlike, mm -hmm. and on another hand, being dependent on tension and limitation in order to operate at all. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I think the it's like almost technology almost kind of uh, en en enables our godlikeness, you know, as far as like 
how we can control all of our environment, all the things that we intake and input and output. But then there's that part that's our human side, you know, our even our animal side that that doesn't satisfy. So it's like you can curate your own your environment to such a degree that you are as if you are God, you know. Hmm. And that's there's something that's true about that, but there's also something that is incomplete. Is like no, you are not God. You know, <laughs> you know. Right. It's like the the more you try to curate your environment, the more hell hell like hellishness <laughs> you're going to unleash on your life. Well, I, I I love that because uh C.S. Lewis in the book The Great Divorce mm. describes this exact thing. Hell is characterized by unlimited choice. Mm. It's a place where you live where if you're ever unhappy, it takes no effort at all to simply move yourself. Mm. Mm. And so hell is this place which is expansive essentially beyond the imagination there are people he makes the point i think that like napoleon bonaparte lives in hell and you could visit him but you probably would never get there Mm. because he's simply removed himself so many times that the distance between where you are and where he might live it's like you're in this great town and the distance is so far Mm -hmm. so you have this ability to remove yourself from limitation, remove yourself from tension. And the result of that is everyone's alone Hmm. and it's hell. Man, that's, that's a really great analogy. (laughs) You kind of let me dumb, dumbfounded Mm -hmm. on that one just because like the, it, it makes so much sense because if you do not, if you don't want to have conflict that's the only, that's the only where the only place you will end up being is alone. Mm-hmm. It's like you need to have conflict and tension in your life. If not, if you seek to just have pleasure and uh, infinite, yeah, just infinite pleasure, it's like you will uh, you will be alone. Well, even pleasure doesn't work mm-hmm. without conflict. I mean, you, you oh, mentioned earlier yeah. the, the sort of like animal instinct mm-hmm. needs that we have and like mm-hmm. sex popped into my mind, mm-hmm. which is a, which is an imperative. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we are to survive as a species, which but, you could argue yeah. isn't all that important, but I think we all behave as if that's important. No, I think it is important. I think the part that it becomes, because in order to, to have sexual partners or partner, it's like you have to give of yourself something and you have to contend with someone else mm -hmm. who is different with you Mm -hmm. well enough and long enough to accomplish the acts of the act of sexual intercourse. That's not such a simple task Mm -hmm. and it's not just about pleasure. Mm -hmm. There is conflict in that. Yeah. There's relationship. There's, there's relationship. Yeah. And it's like, uh, you, you know, uh, you know, definitely there's a, there's a, there's the glorification of this, which is, I think, most people can see this false. It's like, well, it's like, you know, just sleep as with as many people as you want as for as long as you want. If someone doesn't make you happy, just move on to the next. But I feel like most of us have read enough books and watched enough movies to see that you end up in a lonely place. Mm-hmm. Because well, you never find 
You mm. never find a person that you want to stay with. Yeah. If that's your criteria. If that's your yeah, criteria. Yeah. Exactly. Because you, because you also never actually find pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It becomes meaningless at some point mm-hmm. because like sexual pleasure is something that doesn't have meaning without relationship. Right. It can have meaning for a period of time, but if it doesn't progress and you do that too many times, then it just it ends up being kind of a dead. <laughs> well, and you see where that road goes. If you, if you, introduce this or extrapolate this idea of choice into the technological digital realm. So it's like, I might start sleeping with women and get bored. You know, the pleasure fades. Mm -hmm. And then I think, well, I don't really need, you know, to accomplish that pleasure to actually go through the effort of going out to a bar or going on a dating app or whatever. And like actually going through the difficulty of contending with another human being, Mm -hmm on their time frame, yeah. why don't I just turn to online simulated versions of this, hmm. you know, which I can do whenever I want and whenever it suits me. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes similarly boring. Mm-hmm. And now I have this unmet need that I don't know how to meet anymore. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that the place that you end up is a place of, anger at who, you know, Mm -hmm. who can you be angry at all the women, the porn Mm -hmm. yourself being itself existence itself. I mean, this is, this is, this is a road that leads to absolutely nihilistic, destructive, malevolent atrocities. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's not about sex. That's not the point that I'm trying to make. Yeah. <clears throat> it's more about the dangers of a limited choice. Mm-hmm. And, not, and, and not having conflict or tension. It's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. it's something that's very healthy for us. I mean, I think that's why even the institution of marriage is, is so valuable is that it's like you commit to something that is going to be hard. There's going to be tension there's also going to be really great things, but you're going to grow and learn and be molded by another person. Like you commit yeah. to being molded by another person and, and that's hard, you know, it's like, but the thing, I think something with that is like, fundamentally it's like, I don't have a choice. I'm in this, you know, it's like, and you you have to make it work out. You know, it's like, I think that's where family comes in. It's like, no, this is my family. It's like, I can't get away from them. You know, it's like blood is blood. You know, I think that's something that has really been lost in the last, I I feel like that concept or idea has been sort of lost in the last Hmm. really 10 to 15 years. And it might be the way I grew up or whatever, you know, it's like, I I, I don't feel like that's as, as much of a thing or as valuable a thing from what I understood when I was growing up. Hmm. So I wonder if part of the answer to the question earlier about like, what does it mean to move forward into the, the new digital age? Mm-hmm. And what does it mean to move forward into physical reality adjacent to that? And maybe one of the, the best things that we can do as we move into this space is to um, 
exercise our ability to self limit mm. exercise our ability to be disciplined even to arbitrarily limit ourselves mm -hmm. and say, you know, I might have 10 choices in this one respect. Mm -hmm. I'm going to arbitrarily reduce that to two. I mean, that's an act of discipline in a certain sense. Yeah. Um, and maybe those who are, who, who will be most successful are those who can navigate the, the sort of shiny but dangerous pitfalls of too much choice mm -hmm. with discipline and in wisdom. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, while we can't say what's coming, maybe we can look around and observe the skills and practices that might set us up to be the most successful versions of ourselves that we could be in that environment. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting. As you're, as you're saying all those things, I do see this idea of like bringing the old in with the new, you know, it's like, mm. it's like having the, the wisdom of the ages along with the new, you know, it's like, we do need relationships. We do need to, uh, limit ourselves. We do need to, but that becomes more of a choice. Something you said at the beginning was like, it's like, we'll become, we'll, we will have more freedom unless somebody tries to usurp that freedom to tell us what we need. But I think that's the part of like the digital age is like, it's actually giving us more choice, which is actually more dangerous. Mm. And it's like, you hear that the parents stay right. wanting to take care of us because we're not capable or able to make these decisions for ourselves. You know, which lends credence in a certain sense to, to the reactions of tech and government, which is you shouldn't have access to this much, inf much information. It's mm -hmm. dangerous, you know, and the it's dangerous part is true, mm -hmm. but the, the response of um, setting up, power and authority to dictate what can and can't be done isn't the right response to the existence of that obvious danger. Mm -hmm. What is the new response they have on Twitter now that this conversation might be intense, intense. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> it is really funny. It's like, what does that, what does that mean? Right. That, well, it's an extension of this idea of trigger warnings. Mm -hmm. You know, information is dangerous and can trigger people and cause pain. Mm -hmm. It just makes me think we just haven't learned to regulate ourselves. Like, if if someone has to tell you that you might be disturbed by this content, you know, well, I might. I, I can see kind of where I can go back on that. It's like there is a sort of rating systems of movies and mm -hmm. I under, that makes sense to me as far as like, yeah, don't let your kids see rated R movies. They're not ready for that yet. Mm -hmm. But supposedly Twitter's, I think you have to be 18 years old, maybe 13. I don't know what it is now. Yeah. I don't know, but <clears throat> I don't know. What do you want to, what do you want to wrap this up with? I don't know if we doom and gloom this too much. <laughs> I don't think so. No, I think there's some hope in there. Yeah. Um, I can wrap it right there. I th my, 
I don't think I can take it any further at the moment. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We live in interesting times. We do. And I'm actually, I'm actually really excited and encouraged about it. I think there's some really great opportunities. Uh, I think uh, trying to understand and see the drawbacks and, and also just to assess the current situation that you were mentioning about the media and our sense making apparatuses are kind of, there's a little bit of a failure there and our inability to reach across aisles, whether it be political, religious, social, whatever it might be. Um, those are the things I want to see yeah. change, you know, <clears throat> And I don't want to see the the limiting aspects that we're looking at doing to limit to seeing people as other <laughs> vaccinated, unvaccinated, mm-hmm. rich, poor. You know, it's like there's so many labels that we're trying to other people of different perspectives, you know? Yeah. So anyhow, but I'm excited. <laughs> I am too. I am too. Cheers to that. All right. See you guys. Thanks for coming with us on this little journey. For sure. Yeah. All right. See y'all. Bye.